If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. This place is different, special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them, but we all know it. We all feel it. Do you really think all this is an accident? That we, a group of strangers, survived? Many of us with just superficial injuries? You think we crashed on this place by coincidence? Especially this place? We were brought here for a purpose, for a reason. All of us, each one of us, was brought here for a reason. Brought here. And who brought us here, John? The island. Two players, two sides. One is light, one is dark. I see you in another life, brother. We have to go back! Hello and welcome to the store. Now I'm too loud, sorry. Everything got nudged around, all the cords got unplugged. All right. Hello and welcome to The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and when I'm on the run, I go by Fox Janeway. My name is Joanna Robinson, and when I'm on the run, I go by the name Tawanda. And I'm Neil Miller, and when I am on the run, I use the name Jack Shepard, just to throw people off. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast about the ABC series Lost. We are going episode by episode through season one this summer. This episode, we will be covering Tabula Rasa episode three. Uh, last time on The Storm, the Lost Rewatch podcast, we covered uh, pilots part one and two. In case this is your first time joining us, we split the podcast into two parts. The Calm and the storm. The calm is for people who are maybe watching Lost for the first time and do not want to talk about anything beyond what our rewatch has gone up to. In this case, episode three. The storm is for people who want to have a discussion about Lost and have seen the entire series. Last time, I maybe went a little overboard with what the storm <laughs> meant. We've heard your responses, and uh, this week's storm will be, you know, slightly more episode specific, but we could still talk about character things uh, that we would be spoiling people uh, in this first season. That's a good way to talk about that. Joanna, do we have any reviews for this podcast of ours that was a Game of Thrones podcast 24 hours ago? Um, We do. Yeah, we have a lot of reviews. Thank you guys so much. Um, I will start with our most recent. Uh, will writes good, uh, which is someone I know from, uh, from Twitter. May someone once said that to me, like an, this is going to sound like a um, a name drop, so I won't say the actor. It's not like a main actor. Anyway, I was interviewing an actor uh, on on uh, on the phone, and we went through this whole phone call, and I was like, well, thanks so much. It's so nice to talk to you. And I hung up, and she's like, oh, that's okay. I know you from Twitter. <laughs> like, the way she said it was so funny. It's a terrible anecdote. She's like, don't share it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still tired. All right. So Will writes good, May 21st, uh, 2019. Five stars. Love you guys. Will from Los Angeles. I love you guys. Seriously. Y'all are the absolute best. I've been listening for years now, and I'm very excited to see the podcast grow as it transitions into the Lost rewatch. Lost is tied with Breaking Bad for my all-time favorite show, and I can't wait to explore the series again with you guys. When a new app of the podcast appears in my feed, it's one of the highlights of my week. Y'all are amazing and continue to be amazing, and I can confidently say the world is a better place with you in it. Keep up the great work. Oh, and I hope there will be cool Lost-themed shirts for us to buy in the future. Stay awesome. So thank you, Will, and once again to everyone, I apologize 
for the uh, weird anecdote. Okay, I'm going to read one more. Uh, one star, DMike220, lost, get lost. Seriously, there could not be a less compelling show for you guys to switch to from Game of Thrones than lost. Ironic for the, uh, that for all the complaining you do about the last two seasons of Game of Thrones being mostly awful, and they are, that you then switch to a show that continued to add convoluted mysteries and never offered a satisfying answer to most of them, and then ended with one of the stupidest plot twists possible. Lost was dead to <laughs> bleep. Um, <laughs> after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the show went Lost off. was dead to him after some time. Uh, went so far off the rails that year, I stopped and never finished it. Mike, you never finished it. I really enjoyed the dynamic between the three of you, and I hope you'll find a better show to talk about after you're done rehashing this overrated garbage piece on. All right, Mike. Um, you never finished I, wait, it. I, I, yeah. yeah. Kept, you never finished his counterpoint number, number. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I don't like, I don't love to sort of like, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. You are welcome to leave them on our reviews. Well, but I don't need to like, you know, argue Mike down. I mostly just want Mike to join us. So like, I would just say to Mike, like you, uh, we, we're aware of lost reputation. We have varying like levels of agreement over whether or not that's true that you can say that lost, um, and disastrously. And even if you do, I think one of the fun experiments that we're looking forward to is to seeing like, okay, how does that ending an ending that's controversial, like, especially as we're in this cloud of the game of Thrones ending being so controversial, how does a controversial ending from so many years ago sit with us now outside the pressure of the time? Like, how does it come across in the rewatch? So it's all part of why specifically why we chose this. So Mike, I encourage you to join us on this, even though you sound like you don't want to, but if you did, well, like, wait, I think you might find, I think, you go, might, go, go, go ahead. let me just finish. I think you might find some stuff in the final seasons. Um, were not as they were maybe reported to you. Dave, what did you want to say? I just feel like you're giving him a real hard pitch for, uh, 2021 season six rewatch. When I was going to say, we're in the middle of the good seasons right now. I think this, these se- as seasons are very satisfying and uh, very well produced television. So even if, you know, he ends up feeling the exact same way, uh, with us once we're, you know, in 2021, I feel like that would be super valid, uh, if he wants to join for the, the good parts of Lost. The universally agreed good parts of Lost. That's I don't know true. how much I need to like couch my my opinions that I also like this show I'm doing a podcast about, but I also like this show we're doing a podcast about. Um, Neil, yes, used to be the master of our rookery, right? But now that we're stranded on a mysterious island, thousands of miles off course, uh, Ravens not as reliable, definitely as, not as they used to be. I don't know if they even exist in Hawaii where the show was shot or. The island, which is in the Pacific somewhere. You know, you know the number one bird I saw everywhere when I lived on Oahu. Uh, tell me. Chickens. Chickens, eh? Are chickens and roosters everywhere? Because like Oahu, North Shore especially, is just like it's just country, and so there's just like chickens and roosters cockadoodle doing their heads off at all times. So. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So since chickens are not as useful as ravens, I have set up. On a beach somewhere, a radio tent, let's nice. call it, nice. where Saeed and I are going to play with radio parts until we get some signals. We found some signals from our listeners, our wonderful listeners. Uh, I have a couple of them that I would like to read. The first one is an email from Allison. Allison says, super excited for the Lost Rewatch. I watched it since the beginning and watched alias before that on the first episode you talked about lost being a unique show in that the mythology built over seasons i agree and want to point out that jj was doing that on alias as well not sure why but i feel the need to remind you all of alias's big attempt at mythology slash prophecy before lost i was a big fan of alias so that probably is why apparently i'm gung-ho for problematic endings so thank you allison uh, Alias that's is also so, a very good show. That's so funny. Neil was like, we've got an email. And I was like, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, it's about Alias and mythology. And I was like, oh, Rombaldi? He's like, no. But yes, that was about Rombaldi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> the Rombaldi uh, device, all of that. I would argue that, like, JJ does do this thing with his show sometimes. Like, because, like, don't forget that Felicity ended with, like, 
time travel, like a magic spell in time travel. You might think it was just like an, uh, like an unassuming show about a girl who went to college, but there's like a weird hard turn at the end of Felicity. Alias is the show that most went off the rails for me early. Like the Rimbaldi situation, which I think swelled it up. And I want to say season three or four. Uh, yeah, that, that I used to love Alias though. That was a show that I was really, 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 really into. Um, I have harder feelings about the end of Alias than I do about Lost actually. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, our next email, uh, came from Matt. First, I just wanted to say thank you for the very long fun fact and Easter egg filled uh email that you sent us that is very our type of stuff <laughs> um but i picked out one fun fact from matt matt points out that the pilot and the series finale both finished filming on april 24th which is damon lindelof's birthday so even off screen there's a lot of like lo- there's a lot of just like stuff <laughs> like mythological Syn- synchronicity s- synchronicity and whatnot yes the uh the us the jordan peels us of the lost verse exactly uh and finally uh, an email from rachel rachel says i am new to this podcast welcome but have been following joanna's pods for quite a while since discovering her and dave chen on decoding westworld i was over the moon when i saw the lost rewatch podcast announcement as it was my 100 percent all-time favorite show the first episode almost made me emotional listening to three of you gush over what an incredible show it was and continues to be. I could never understand how people could discard the entire series because the ending may not have met their expectations. I was 37 weeks pregnant with my first kid when Lost premiered. As soon as it ended, I looked at my husband and said, we need to get a DVR immediately. I can't miss this show. It was love at first sight, and I held on throughout the entire ride, reading every blog, searching through Lostpedia, and spending way too much time at work discussing it with my colleagues. Was the ending perfect? No. But was it emotionally satisfying to watch? Spoiler, 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 spoiler. Hell yes. So now, almost 15 years later, that baby is about to start high school, and we have been watching Lost together since the winter. I honestly could not wait until my son was old enough to get into the show, and he is loving it too. Midway through the first season, he asked, There aren't ever new characters, right? I mean, how would that be possible? <laughs> I'm so happy to go back to the island as are my little lost friends. P.S. Is there any chance you can include links to the crazy websites ABC built along the way? I have no idea how to find those. This reminds me that ABC did all kinds of like weird viral marketing websites that we will hopefully discuss as we go along. Uh, if we can oh, find they'll them. be in the storm <laughs> for sure. So it's also, it's going to be a fun challenge to see if we can dig any of those up. But I think this is a nice counterpoint to anyone who's worried about Lost. Lost is um, super fun. Is It is deep and wide and expansive and full of interesting things to talk about on a moment-to-moment level and on a series-wide level. And that's why you're here for the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast. Let's go into the calm. This is just talking about Tabula Rasa, the third episode <laughs> of the first season. Tabula Rasa? Tabula Rasa? Tabula. You, say it like, you say it like Tabuli. I think that's why you keep saying it that way. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Tab- Whatever helps me spell it, that's how I say it. Tabula Rasa. Tabula Rasa. Nope, but that's okay. All right, whatever. It means blank slate. They say everyone gets a fresh start like two different times in two different ways in this episode. But I think most importantly for Lost, first of all, it's the first Jack Bender episode, Jack Bender directed episode of Lost. It's written by Damon Lindelof, uh, who's now show running the series. Uh, Lost has now been picked up. It's going to be a series uh, about a, a television show about these survivors. And unlike the uh, first pilot episodes, which included a bunch of flashbacks that sort of hinted towards Lost structure, this is the first one that is purely structured Lost. We can now reveal that Lost episodes are usually centered around a single character's perspective flashbacks that play into the theme that is happening on the island. So when we talk about episodes... Uh, going forward, we'll talk about maybe the first Kate episode because I can't pronounce the title of the episode. And that means this episode because it's a Kate episode and it's the first one we got. We get Kate's flashbacks, uh, to see her, as Joanna put it while we were all watching this episode together. Save a cat. Joanna, explain the save a cat 
and how this is a Kate episode in the sense that we're also on her side and her perspective. Um, Save the Cat is a screenwriting. I mean, there's a screenwriting book called Save the Cat, but it's like this screenwriting idea that early on in your screenplay, you show your hero doing or your antihero, wh- whoever you want the audience rooting for, doing something like unabashedly heroic in some way that you immediately just want to root for that person. It's called like saving the cat, like save a cat from a tree. So you see, you know, your show opens, some hot guy saves a cat from a tree and you're like, oh, he's hot and he saves cats. It's great. Uh, ditto Kate. Kate is hot and has beautiful hair and also like drags guys who just narked on her out of flaming trucks. And uh, we saw in the pilot part two uh, puts an oxygen mask on, uh, you know, the bounty hunter who was, is he a bounty hunter? He's Sorry. a marshal. I think they refer to him yeah. as a marshal. Yeah. yeah. The marshal who, who had like, you know, so, so even though these, these guys were like trying to capture her and turn her in, she was like still good enough to save them. Um, something that I thought was interesting that I read about, um, in, uh, on, on the Lostpedia was that the, in the original script, uh, you know, th- they're still experimenting with format, right? Like this is, as you mentioned, this is the first flashback. Like, really, we're understanding how the. It's format the first shown. not. It's the first flashback that's not about the crash, right? Not the plane. I think, yeah. That like really dives into a character story that reveals that interacts with the with the modern day story. Um, and I was reading this section on the Lostpedia about the original script. In the in the original script, it was supposed to open with Kate pulling, um the the guy out of the truck and his arm has already fallen off so it's just a one-armed guy out of the truck and he's bloody and she's bloody and so the audience is supposed to think like she done a bad thing there um mm-hmm. and then they I kate guess, chopped a guy's arm off yeah she chopped a guy's arm off um and then they uh they re they decide to show it in chronological order and i think that that was the right decision because like the flashbacks are not that disorienting but i think if you flashbacked out of order that would be disorienting so um but they were originally going to try to like dupe you and i I, that makes sense to me because i I was wondering watching that scene it's so long she drags him for so long that i was like why is this this long and now i understand if it was originally in like two different parts um why they shot it that way oh yeah that makes sense and then it's also uh, so they're dealing with a lot of tension building things lost is a basically a suspense show uh, and we get a whole bunch of suspense themes uh, that are introduced in the score that are going to carry us through. Um, but uh, they have to deal with the fact that everybody's um, lying. Everybody who went on the expedition in pilot part two about. Uh, we have to learn that. Wait, wait. God damn it. Sorry. Well, Hurley and Jack both find out about Kate. Oh, yeah. And then um, Kate has. Goes to tell him a secret, but it's a different secret. So we have like another layer built on top of that. And that's before we have to even deal with the fact that uh, Jack's savior syndrome meets its first uh, immovable object in the Marshall, uh, the Marshall's condition. And who, a very unhelpful Marshall, but a very plot convenient Marshall who doesn't remember what he says in his fever dream and refuses to talk to anybody but the person he's supposed to be held captive. And uh, even by the end of the episode, we still don't know what Kate did. You got us, Marshall. Ah, not going <laughs> to spoil anything for us. But we us. know is at least in the Marshall's mind, pretty bad. Bad enough for him to try and kill her immediately when he wakes yeah. up. Um, as you know, we, we, we just hung out, uh, all three of us, uh, this week for this live show we were doing in San Francisco. Uh, and what my co-host found out about me is that when I wake up, I immediately try to participate in inside jokes. That's what I do <laughs> immediately upon waking up. Uh, apparently this guy immediately wakes up and tries to choke people. <laughs> like he, he goes from yeah. zero to choking her. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Can, okay. Can we go back to Hurley for a second? Yeah. I'd like to continue to recognize Hurley as my favorite part of all lost things. Um, because I love the moment, just the sort of the, the conversation he has with Jack and then the weird conversation he has with Kate when he notices that she has the gun, but also at that, by that point, he already knows that something's weird. And I just, Jorge Garcia is so good in these scenes, um, at being uncomfortable with, with what's happening around him. 
And it's one of my favorite things. I also really like the Kate moment with Jack where it's like both of them. Well, I guess Jack more than anyone realizes, oh, we're keeping secrets from each other. Like, so, uh, yeah. yeah, like it's he, he sort of he gets a greater understanding of Kate initially than it would have been if he if if she had told him her secret like now it's like oh this is now we have to keep an eye on each other so type um, of thing for the uh for the storm section of this podcast uh dave was expressing a wish to have the uh, original show bible of lost uh which is something that i was able to dig up um online and we will probably talk about this a little bit more in the storm but i thought it might be useful to read part of a non-spoilery part of hurley's entry because they've got little entries for all of the characters to like help you figure out like what what per what function the writers thought that this character why this character type on the beach right mm-hmm. um and so I won't read his full thing because it's actually not accurate to what ends up happening early on the show. But even just saying that, I guess, is a spoiler. So just to err on the side of caution, I'll just say... Uh, on the island, Hurley will be the one who responds to all of the strangeness with the bewilderment of an average Joe. He is the everyman, not to mention the primary source of our comic relief. So, I mean, that's a dust statement, but you know, just, you know, that's, that's who Hurley is supposed to be. And I, I loved my favorite Hurley moment in this episode is when, uh, you know, at the end, when they shot the marshal, but not killed the marshal. <laughs> and then Hurley, I think, goes like, dude or like dude uh, yeah and it's just like it's a really good really good early moment uh yeah classic classic yeah i mean i guess that brings us to sawyer what do we think about sawyer in this episode as in terms of developing the guy who was just kind of racist last episode oh and wait used way too many bullets on a polar bear uh we were watching it uh with your roommate Diana, who also watches Game of Thrones, and since we're a Game of Thrones podcast, I feel somewhat okay making the reference that she said that she disliked Sawyer at this point as much as she disliked Joffrey, which is pretty intense for a character that was maybe just a little racist, but this time he definitely uh, screws up shooting a guy in the chest after making lots of snide comments about how badass he is. Uh, Does this little mini arc work for you, Joanna? Yeah, I mean, I think that um we've seen him, like, glower and smoke and read a letter and shoot a bear and, like, you know, say racist things to Saeed and stuff like that and uh fat shaming things to Hurley, et cetera, et cetera, uh, swagger around. And and then you just get Josh Holloway, who plays Sawyer, the look on his face when he realizes that he, like, fucked up, it, this immediate sort of, like, boyish crumple of his face i think it speaks volumes i think it's really really good i i love the characterization of sawyer so you're like ooh, a second note josh holloway <laughs> how interesting oh you modulated that <laughs> performance who knew what about you yeah what about you neil well no i love i love how they really drive drive home especially early in this episode the sawyer is kind of a piece of shit thing <laughs> um just like and then they really, then they don't let it last on and on and on. I think that's one of the, one of the fun things about Sawyer is like, by the end of this episode, you're not entirely sure how you're supposed to feel about this guy, especially after you see that, like, as Joanne explained, the look and then how he fumbles with his cigarettes and like, is just like totally knocked out of his confidence or his, uh, or like the, the, the bravado that he shows Jack when they're in the fuselage together where he's like, you're not looking at the big picture, doc. Like, I know what's going on here. Um, I think it's interesting too, that like you have some characters who are in a form of panic being on the Island. Obviously like Charlie seems sort of not, not happy about what's going on. Um, and you know, Jack is, is his hero complex is just killing him. Um, <laughs> but you have these two characters, Sawyer and Locke, who are weirdly calm about the whole thing, you know, and it, for Sawyer, it's like, I'm, as he says in this episode, I'm in the wilderness, you know, we're out in the world now. And, and this is, you know, it's, it's Lord of the Flies out here and I'm tallest, I guess. And then John Locke is, he's 
got a sort of weird ethereal calm about himself. Um, he's just sitting there whittling on the beach. So it's really sort of as an audience member, especially if you're in the calm and you're not thinking about anything else, you're, you're just not entirely sure what's going on with these guys. And Sawyer is, this is one of, one of the better early Sawyer episodes, I think. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't oh. know. I kind of think they're all good, but. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to backtrack to, uh, Michael and Locke, but first I wanted to ask, uh, in terms of the, we have two, uh, um, I guess like couplings in this episode. One is I want to ask how we feel about Sun and Jin. They only really get like, uh, one scene together and then, uh, a nice little comedic button. Uh, for Michael being chased by something through the jungle. Uh, is that working for us? Jin's gets a little bit more complicated in saying that I love you and Sun gets, gives him a look, uh, at least of like some sort of doubt. So I think it's like a slight change from, uh, just searching for food or telling her, you know, to button up her shirt from the pilot. But is it, is it enough of a change to hint that this is more complex or is it still reading as black and white to you, Neil? <clears throat> Sorry, I normally cough as soon as you start talking to me. Um, well, I like, I like that Sun and Jenner is still a mystery. Um, you know, there's a lot of, it, you know, obviously it's very early in a 24 episode season. Um, but yeah, we don't really know what to make of them yet. I do think it's interesting the turn in the second part of the pilot that Jin goes through where we think that he wants to stay isolated away from everyone else on the beach. Mm. But then he, you know, we find out that later that he's fishing uh, and that he's going to bring the fish to the other people on the island. So there's, you know, Jin's actually, to me at this point, seems like another character who is, has a sense of calm and we just don't know what his goals are yet, but he has a, like a heightened sense of calm about what's happening and a sense of purpose around like, what are my skills? What skills do I maybe have that I can use? You know, okay, I can fish. So I know how to fish <laughs> and I'll catch some fish and bring it to other people. Um, there are, you know, I think we've spent a lot of time in these first three episodes with Jack and Kate and you know, the, the, the group that goes off to find the signal. Um, there are, it's interesting to watch these other characters that are sort of lurking around that sort of central group and trying to figure out what their deals are. Because it's not a spoiler to say that on Lost, everybody matters, it seems, most <laughs> of the time. Um, so you kind of have to pay attention to, what's going on with everybody, even if it's not their episode. Um, so you do get some really good character moments from, from Sun and Jin. And uh, that's probably where I should leave it. Yeah. I'm going to pass to Joanna with the other coupling I was referencing, which is one that uh, they meet the, for the first time, Claire and Charlie, Charlie. get to have a nice Charlie. moment. Charlie. Um, and then, you know, Charlie also gets to update his, his finger wraps. Um, Claire and Charlie, uh, Charlie's trying to, you know, make his best, uh, way on the island and I guess make more friends and alliances. Um, I, I know initially in the script, uh, there was a lot more emphasis on the group having to keep secrets. So knowing that that side plot, um, about the secret transmission isn't as emphasized in this script, uh, Charlie and Claire just get to have a pleasant meeting scene. Do you, what did you think about this, Joanna? I like it. I mean, there's, um, it's fun to watch this. We were, once again, we were having this little debate before we started recording about like how they broke this season and we still don't have the definitive answer yet. We'll work on it on figuring out exactly when they knew and what they knew, um, on this season of Lost, but it's fun to watch them sort of trial and error certain like couplings. Like if you, you know, like Charlie and Claire, that's, that's a, that's a coupling in terms of just like, um, natural chemistry or whatever. It's, it's a coupling that I think you can see from the beginning makes sense. Um, not that Hurley and Claire don't, but it's funny to watch the pilot and be like, Oh, Hurley and Claire is sort of something they were trying 
or like Charlie and Shannon were something they were trying or, you know, Charlie and Kate is something they were trying. You know what I mean? Like they were sort of like trying things out to see how they worked. Um, and I feel like maybe this is the storm hindsight. You can sort of tell when something feels like it clicks a bit better and the Charlie and Claire stuff, I think clicks well for me. And I did want to circle back quickly to, um, to both, uh, Sun and Hurley and say that something I, uh, read somewhere is that those two actors, um, that Jorge Garcia tried out for the, uh, role of Sawyer, uh, r- when they thought of Sawyer as like a very kind of a different character. Um, and they liked him so much that they created the role of Hurley for him. Uh, and ditto the actress who plays Sun. She auditioned to play Kate and they liked her so much that they wrote Sun for her. So it's, it's fun to know like how many, characters in this Motley crew are written specifically for those actors. Cause like Hurley is basically Jorge Garcia. <laughs> like that's just <laughs> who Hurley is and it's great and it's wonderful. And I'm so glad he exists on this Island, but like, you know, to your point, um, Dave about making alliances and all that kind of things or, or, or what is my worth in this scenario? Like we've, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. Like what would our worth be in a post-apocalyptic setting or what would our worth be in a desert Island situation? Um, I don't really have worth uh, that I can think of in a survival <laughs> situation. So maybe I should start learning how to fish. Yeah, don't but, put uh, that one on the Joanna soundboard. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, these various people being like, I know how to do this so I can be helpful. I can make a fire or like Saeed's like, I know radio parts. I can be helpful sort of thing. So, um, right. And even characters that are in denial about their situation, because this is days two and three, like Shannon, uh, does end up being helpful, like last episode, just by the nature of people, like the leadership roles. The council of leaders and the council, the support staff are sort of being built in. Right. And, uh, we're gonna flesh those tendrils out and test some of these alliances going forward in season one. Let's move out of the column into the storm, but first, we've gotta talk about the good boy returns to the beach. Hell Vincent yeah. It's safe. When did we Thanks to some a, quick thinking by John Locke. When did we become a dog podcast? I want to know. <laughs> well, uh, there's a dog on our podcast sometimes. Nico. It's true. That's true. <laughs> and we decided dragons were cats. And right. We, I let you have it. So uh, there is a dog on the island with our castaways. I feel good boy is a good... Uh, well, maybe just calm boy. Maybe that's better because he's been wandering around for like a day and a half in the jungle doing fine apparently is just that- waiting for somebody to give him that specially tuned wood whistle nice, uh from nice, out from out on the beach nice convoy um <laughs> the other thing i should mention because i feel like people expected of me and i already burdened you guys with this information is when uh is when we were trying to hash out how you pronounce tabula rasa uh, I mentioned that it is also the name of an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, in season six, I believe it is, when they all lose their memory, uh, which is a really fun episode. Um, and it's the name of like a spell that causes them all to lose their memory. So that's how I'm familiar with the uh, the phrase tabula rasa, which, as Dave said, means blank slate. I don't know where my first encounter with it came it's probably like one of those like weird things that like some heavy metal cover had like etched atop like a stone doorway. Right. <laughs> Latin. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit, is this is this like where I sell my soul to Satan? And I'm like, nope, blank slate. Oh, interesting. Thanks, heavy metal bands. <laughs> uh all right, so Locke seems as helpful this episode, or as helpful as he can be. He doesn't really have anything to contribute to the should we kill the Marshall argument, but nor should he really, uh, because we don't know who this guy is. He does seem to know how to whittle a whistle that can call a dog back, and uh unlike everybody else who seems to be just trying to survive, um Kate and Locke are the ones that are actively like making alliances. I think by sharing or not sharing information. In this case, uh, Locke brings, uh, or wakes up Michael and says that he's found Vincent and Michael should be the one to give him back to Walt, which seems very nice until the ending shot where we watch him. <laughs> until they do with the, the dun, dun, dun. It's so uh-huh. good. Uh, do you think Terry Quinn actually had a sunburn? 
Or did they just like put a lot of blusher on him? Anyway. Ooh, hard I to mean, say. if they're, if it, depending on when they, they started, uh, you know, filming on the beach again after the pilot, this is the beginning of a long series of beach shoots. So this, that, I bet that's a real sunburn. I, I've, I'm like concerned for all of them and their, and their, uh, sunscreen situation on that beach. Um, can I say really quickly before we move into the storm, can I say my favorite line of the episode? Yes. Yes, please do. Um, I, well, I, well, I didn't write it down exactly, so I hope I don't fuck it up. But anyway, when Sawyer's talking to Kate, he's like, uh, I know you have a gun. I saw it sticking out of your denims. <laughs> <laughs> also, who calls jeans denims? <laughs> we get, um, we get more Sawyer nicknames in this episode, yes. which I like around the campfire. Um, that is, and it, sorry this is, it's a sawyer thing that i love and uh just Why? Pay, apologize keep, keep close well i don't want it to feel like a spoiler but keep close attention on all of sawyer's nicknames they're great yeah what I'm saying. I'm, i don't think it's a spoiler to say this is like calling kate freckles is like that's iconic for lost so here we go right it started <laughs> it's begun freckles <laughs> is now something that we can say in the calm <laughs> which is now over as we transition into the storm Joanna is going to be taking control of the storm away from me because (laughs) (laughs) might have gone a little too hard, might have uncorked Dave a little too fast. I like to think of it as Joanna is going to help bring more structure so that Neil doesn't get lost. (laughs) Well, okay. Doesn't get boom. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Um, So... uh, this I want I want you to talk more about this though, Dave. Like you introduced this theory um on last week's episode that the show is positioning Locke as definitely the villain from the start. And it's fun for you in the rewatch to notice all the ways in which you feel like the show is tipping its hand. And since you mentioned it, I've been looking for it too. And there's, there is some fun stuff there, but Neil and I pushed back pretty hard. And I think a lot of our listeners did too, on this idea of Locke as a villain. So before I like come back at you with some even more counter arguments, I want to hear of your observations of like, Lock the villain in this episode, Tabula Rasa. So, uh, not, I mean, what I hit at in the column is this is all more about like making alliances for him. And it's unclear at this point in the series really what Locke's ultimate goals are. And I don't want to get too far into next week's episode because that's going to hopefully be the episode i haven't gotten to it in my rewatch i don't know if you guys have skipped ahead and done walkabout again i haven't done it yet <laughs> all right done, hopefully done it twice <laughs> oh okay but i know it's well, the lock episode you're definitely fresher in this part of the storm for me but i'm interested uh next week to see if it's more developed because i think this week it definitely positions because of that last shot and the score it positions lock um as a, a potential antagonistic force that we have to be worried about at least in these first three episodes they're shooting him creepy and but what we know is that he knows it's a magical miracle island and that's what's allowing him to embrace his calm but just like the island is you know like testing people overall Locke is also testing relationships and building alliances and it was going to be in the original version of the script when they were uh, focusing more on uh, keeping the secret from everybody that you'd see snippets of everybody lying intercut with Lost explaining poker to Walt, which I'm glad they cut it because you can't just explain in a new deception game every episode. That can't be happen and have the flashbacks in every episode. Uh, but the idea that they were, they're positioning Locke as the force that knows more and might know what's going on. Uh, and we don't know that he doesn't. He has this curiosity thirst that makes him unsafe to be around. And so when I say villain, I don't, it doesn't, it's not like he knows he's bad and he knows that he's like out to like kill people or anything. 
but I also don't think that any of these people mean anything to him. And if your ultimate goal is about like finding people in friendship, Locke's so uninterested in that because he's focused on this miracle he's been given and the capability to like touch God later on. I will and then later um, save save everybody and save the island. I mean the the miracle uh that that's that's way too stormy. The the miracle we should say just in case like people are rewatching and they like really don't remember uh is that Locke was in a wheelchair before crashing the island. I mean like that that's for people who like really have forgotten everything about Lost, but like maybe someone has and we should say Locke could not walk and then um, he did something that uh, when he crashed. And so that, 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 and even before that, and we'll talk about this and walk about, but even before that, he had this idea of having a destiny. Um, maybe it's useful for me to read this. It, it, is it okay if I read the lock description for the original show, show Bible? I think it kind of enforces what you're saying, Dave. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. You, you really uh, teased me along with the show Bible because we've been arguing about the numbers <laughs> and then you like talked up to the numbers and then pulled back in the main episode. But yes, let's go with Locke. Well, and I found it after more. you said, I want to find it. I was like Googling and I was like, there it is. Anyway, uh, Locke, intelligent, charismatic, driven, and considerably more lucid than the pilot gives him credit for. All these characteristics only begin to describe the enigma that is Locke. Once a faceless, unhappy office worker, Locke's only solace comes from amassing knowledge of survival techniques, playing board games, and fighting paintball battles. All traits which make him quirky in civilization, but now allow him to shine on the island. For the first time in his life, people look to Locke as a leader, and he likes it. The plane crash is the best thing that ever happened to Locke, and in many ways, he views it as a sign. He has found his purpose, and that's not all. The others don't know what it is yet, but Locke has a plan. So this actually does not mention, like, his physical um, situation at all, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then for Hurley... Okay, so we should see contextually. We were arguing in this episode. Uh, the the we're trying to figure out, and maybe you listeners know who are stormy know this already. Like when exactly it is that the writers knew about the numbers, and when they started seeding them into the show. We found. Hey, Joanna. In case people haven't watched the show in a while, what are the numbers? Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. The numbers Wait, four eight. 15, 16, 23, 42. What's the last one? I'm doing it with my eyes closed. 56. 108? No, it's 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. 108? Is it 108? Uh, I don't know. I'm just also going off memory, but I like your trolley answer to Joanna's questions. Joanna, what do the numbers mean <laughs> Sorry. in Lost? Jesus Christ. It's 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. That's it. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Um, I had it right. So the, there's the there's a series of numbers in Lost. They are like the numbers that keep cropping up over and over again in various places. I think chasing what they actually mean is a little bit is of folly. something for season two. But it's also like of a, the storm. It's a little bit of folly. I think that's getting like it's the kind of Easter egg that like you won't necessarily be satisfied by the answer of what it means. But it is true. But that's also the the person who asked the person who asked us to dive into like the web stuff and whatnot. That's where they're like basically in between seasons one and two. Lost is huge. They're writing this like really complex mystery story that's going to end up being like the saga of the hatch, which means they have to invent Dharma and everything. And so, as like a marketing way, they give like some writers. They're like. Do the lost experience. And that's all those websites and biomarketing things. And they're basically like, you can explain the numbers. And I think that's part of the reason why they never really return to what the numbers really mean is because it's kind of an off show creation that then has to be massaged into the show. And by the time we get to like caring about them again, the show's much more concerned about like time travel and how things are echoed through people's lives and like Ben's entire life story. So I, it makes sense to me. They're not there, but that's so Lindelof, numbers. Lindelof, I guess said at Comic-Con in 2005, he said, we may never know what the numbers mean. And then apparently he got a lot of uh, angry kickback from people demanding to know what the numbers mean. And then he gave an interview in 2008 uh, where he said there are some questions that are very engaging and interesting, and then there are other questions that we have no interest in whatever in answering. We call it the midichlorian debate because at a certain point, explaining something mystical demystifies it. To try and have a character come and say, here's what the numbers mean, actually makes every usage of the numbers up to that point less interesting. And you go, there's more about 
about that, but like I agree with that, and this is the this is the kind of complication. That of- just sounds like somebody that hasn't watched the lost episodes of the Clone Wars, which make midichlorians make sense, <laughs> which would make sense because those episodes hadn't actually been produced and released in 2008 when David Lindelof gave that review. I'm sure he understands midichlorians now. He's a very smart man. He's not saying he doesn't understand midichlorians. He says it's really like midichlorians were universally unpopular when they were introduced because it's like, let me quantify the force for you. Like, that's why midichlorians are a problem, not because you can't understand it, but because you try to break the for the concept of the force down into something like that scientific is um, it's bad. It's awful, I think. I think it's uh, unnecessary. That's an uncontroversial statement. Um, all right. So anyway, we were trying to figure out because there's a few occurrences of those numbers in this episode, like, uh, the reward for Kate is $23,000. Um, the, the man who's harboring Kate, uh, and, and going to turn her in, his wife died eight months ago. The, airport is 15 kilometers away something like that anyway so like it comes up a couple times so our question was like did they already know the numbers when they used them in this episode when did they start dropping the numbers into the script how did they break the season it's a really complicated question that we didn't like come up with an answer for like david fury said they came up with the numbers when they were breaking the episode called the numbers but that's not until episode 18 of the season so like when did they come up with the numbers and when did they start seeing them in and i'm sure there's an answer somewhere we just didn't find it in the time before we started recording this podcast but what we did find is a show bible which we thought might help us understand when they broke certain scripts. When do they know what they knew? You know what I mean? Like if you watch, right. if you watch an episode of a uh, season of television that has 20 plus episodes, usually Neil, well, maybe I feel like I've been talking too long. Neil, like, can you explain to our listeners who maybe don't know too much about like breaking TV? Like how do you, how do you usually break a season that's like over 20 episodes long? Um, That's an excellent question for me. Who doesn't work in TV? Uh, no, I, <laughs> no. So, so the idea is you get together and you break down, you, you sort of outline your entire season, right? So once they decide we're picked up for 20 plus episodes, you go through and you sort of screw, you create an outline for your entire season and then you start breaking down each episode. So I'm not sure what their exact process was, but I imagine it was something like they started deciding what's the structure of our episodes and then how do we want to reveal the different stories behind the characters? And I don't think the numbers became important until they got to Hurley's episode. Um, But so the question is like, did did the lost writers write episode 18 before they started shooting episode three? Or did they just have like an outline of it? And we don't know the answer to that. Basically. Um, But, but we thought maybe like if, if they knew that Hurley was going to have a lottery ticket, then they would maybe have an idea that numbers would be important early on. But at least in the show Bible, the description for Hurley is Hurley was born into a vast Puerto Rican family, instilling him with two great survival skills, a deep abiding love of food and an amiable ability to wrest peace from the thorniest of family feuds. Unable to attend college, he is not what some may call book smart. Hurley parlayed his skills into a career in asset recovery, a repo man, able to talk anyone out of anything. Hurley's talent landed him in Sydney where hours before getting on the oceanic flight, he talked a former millionaire into turning over his yacht on the Island. Hurley will be the one who responds. Well, and I already read that part. So the fact that Hurley is like a secret huh. millionaire with a lottery ticket was not in their original concept of him. That doesn't mean that's not the defining answer to this question, but it is interesting to know that that's not something they had figured out from him, at least from the very, very start, you know? So, yeah. I think what we're looking for still is just somebody who's gone on record that says the period of time that they wrote batches of episodes. Yeah. We know, we know late and later on seasons, they get to be like reactive, but I also have this weird feeling that like Damon Lindelof gave a whole bunch of 10 year later interviews like uh, five years ago where he said that like after, you know, they had this pilot and they got picked up uh, just having to scramble and put together what this show was and it leading to things like the caves and whatnot. And so I wonder how long they've uh, mapped things out because we get to the caves pretty, pretty quick. Oh, I found a little, a little bomb in uh, Shannon's description. And this, this leads me to something else I want to talk about. Um, And I want to ask you guys, I mean, this might, this is something that I've seen uh, among the women who are rewatching the show with us. Um, But I'm curious to see what you guys think. 
I have a different experience with Shannon. We already talked about this a little bit. I have a different experience with Shannon this time than I did the first time, uh, where I was just like, uh, you know, I was too like traumatized by the prevalence of like Paris Hilton and uh, her ilk in our, you know, culture in 2004 that like Shannon, I was just like, Shannon sucks. Rewatching it, I have a lot more empathy for Shannon. And I, and I like her. Uh, and I like that this character exists on the show. Um, and, and some, I think a lot of women actually watching the show, uh, back in the day had some issues with Kate, largely the way in which Kate was this like shiny object that every single man on the island seemed to be in love with. And then I heard from a bunch of women rewatching along with us that they're like, what was I thinking? Kate rules. It's not like her fault that the writers wrote every single man like in love with her. Like she's actually awesome. So just like this, this like over 10 years later, how we view female characters or how we view male characters or how we view certain archetypes, uh, things that we accepted as like totally fine. Now we're like, Hmm, is that problematic or is that less problematic? So I'm wondering if you guys are having any sort of relitigation of characters or archetypes as you're rewatching the show. I think, um, I think I feel similarly, but I think for different reasons. I think for me, it's more of like the context of knowing where those characters go that helps. Like, you know, you, you know that Shannon, like the whole thing about Shannon is that we're supposed to underestimate her or like everyone around her underestimates her. But then there are moments where she gets to, you know, her talents come alive. And this is something that happens with a lot of characters. And it is interesting going back and like trying to remember what I thought about the characters. Like, you guys were talking about Locke earlier. Up to this episode, uh, first time around me was 100% on, oh, Locke's obviously the villain here. And they set him up to be the villain. And, or like, you know, some kind of ba- a bad operator or bad faith operator within the group. And then, you know, the next episode, Walkabout comes along and it's like, holy shit. So you, 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 it's, it's a lot of setup. It's a lot of the show setting you up to, peg these characters incorrectly and then have that twist the other way. You know, we're seeing that in this episode with Kate where it's like, we found out in the pilot that Kate was the one with the handcuffs. We still don't know what she did, but she keeps saving the cat. So she can't be that bad. Right. Um, and I think that it, that's, that's what lost sort of plays with at all times. And Shannon's a great example of that. I mean, I, I remember, having sort of a similar feeling about Shannon when I, the first time through is like, I'm annoyed by this character. I don't know what, what this character is doing. She seems, she seems like the kind of character who's not going to make it very long. Um, but then, you know, as you go on, especially through season one and two, uh, you know, she really sort of opens up as an interesting character. And I think that's, that feels like the thing that was per- most purposeful from the beginning uh, you know, as opposed to like the conversation we just had about the numbers where it's like, when did they figure that out? I think the thing that they figured out very early is that they can shroud a lot of the, I don't know, more, more useful qualities of these characters in mystery because of the chaos of the first, you know, because of the chaos of the initial, yeah, you know, crash and all that stuff. And I think Shannon's a really good litmus test for that. And, you know, I think, Kate didn't feel that way only because Kate's stuff is revealed very quickly. You know, like it feels like we get to know Kate faster than uh, any other characters besides Jack, I guess. Like we, we get Jack's deal, you know, for now. Um, and Jack sort of has to flip the other way at some point. But uh, yeah, so I think uh, that's, I, I am seeing these characters obviously a little bit differently. Um, you know, Charlie's just there to make friends, I guess. Uh, he's, he's just trying to, he's going through and trying to find someone who knows you all, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Charlie just wants to matter. Um, Dave, what do you think? Like, has time or wisdom or whatever changed your perception of, of certain archetypes, uh, in the show from when you first watched it? Uh, I mean, I think knowing what their arcs are, like Neil was saying, helps and like knowing that we, we're supposed to be on Kate's side here because of the structure of the flashback. And we're supposed to kind of still be thinking that Shannon's dumb and maybe just like in trauma, like they cut out the scene of her uh, sunbathing and breaking her sunglasses and freaking out, which 
because I've never seen it. I don't know if it's like trauma based or whatnot, but that could have been more leaning into an annoying tone that we don't need. But then with Kate, we have to like loop back once we get back to the caves with whatever the case may be with more Kate mystery. So it is interesting, especially with the main losties, how season one has to like retread some ground without really retreading ground. And I think one and seasons one and two are very good at that. Obviously three is, has the problem where even the showrunners are like, we're kind of done retreading the ground with some of these characters. We're explaining Jack's tattoos. Like, can we please end this series? Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm really not like, um, uh, all the Sawyer's thing, all the Sawyer things kind of seem like cute little asides from a guy that I know eventually spends like a whole bunch of time making a different life, uh, in the past. Uh, but I, I think that one more than the women right now is reading to me better in hindsight because 2004, that guy was straight asshole. I was probably closer to Diana, uh, <laughs> than, uh, I am now. Uh, but I, I still think, uh, Shannon is really going to blossom or th- this is really going to come up for me. I think, uh, when Shannon and Boone come to the forefront this season and, uh, for Kate. Yeah. I don't know. I always like Kate. Um, so the Shannon, uh, here's the little bomb and Shannon's like original description in the show Bible. While we may perceive her to be a little more than a rich bitch, Shannon is considered more complicated after too many drunken nights and wrecked sports cars. Her wealthy and incredibly distant mother finally canceled Shannon's credit cards. Resourceful in her own way, Shannon solved her problem by seducing a wealthy man three times her age and convinced him to take her to his home on Australia's Gold Coast. A relationship which ended in disaster, as they all do with Shannon, and the arrival of overprotective Boone to bring her back to captivity. Smart, manipulative, and extremely capable of being ruthless in order to get what she wants, Shannon will be a constant catalyst for conflict in her new surroundings. Until she begins to fall, for the one man on the island, even less inclined to play nice than she is, Sawyer. So uh. that was an original plan. And like it made a lot of these descriptions make sense when you uh circle back to uh something one of you said uh, one of you uh said on a previous podcast I think which is that the concept of loss came out of the desire to make a fictionalized survivor survivor plus mm-hmm. castaway, right? So each of these characters is like casting a reality show, right? Each of these characters yeah. has to be in the mix, someone who can make trouble, someone who can solve trouble, someone who has like a wound, like all this sort of stuff. Um and it's I'll- great to see Locke as the Richard Hatch Right, exactly. And I won't, I won't bore you all with reading all of these that we might revisit some as we get to their episodes, but Boone apparently was supposed to be a schizophrenic who runs out of his medication on the island. So (laughs) that's, that's fun and interesting. And they didn't come up with anything interesting to do with Boone. Instead, they killed him. We're in the storm. We could say that. All right. Um, I do think it's really interesting though that, um, that one, that what sounds like the, some of the most important things to the writers as they were going into this was what are their hidden survival skills? What are the things in their life and their past? Like Dave mentioned with Locke, like what are the things in their past that will be useful in this very specific situation? And I think it's, that's one of the things as this, as the first season goes on is you start to unravel some of that. And that's where you start to think like, okay, these people didn't randomly just get here. You know, like there's something more going on because it's like, how did all these people with some of the right specific sets of skills end up on that plane together? How did Jack end up saving his half sister who was pregnant in the pilot? (laughs) Um, What's fun is that uh, there are certain keywords that are bolded in these descriptions. And I'm I'm sorry about to read you. Like, if you want to read this for yourself. Uh, I'm about to read you a really long URL and I apologize, but it's l-e-e-t-h-o-m-s-o-n dot myzen dot co dot uk slash loss slash loss underscore series underscore format dot pdf or we'll probably include this link in show notes somewhere but uh, if you want to read this for yourself but what's interesting in these character descriptions is they have certain words capitalized that just you know just to make them jump out at you so for charlie it's rehab for sawyer it's anti-hero and black market for boone it's danger for Locke, it's leader and a sign and a plan. Uh, for Saeed, it's love. For Sun, it's learning English. You know, like, so there's, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting. I just think it's interesting to, like, 
take a peek behind the curtain of how stories are constructed in that way. So, yes, um, I hope you got the URL because I am so afraid of linking to. Oh, never mind. Uh, this will not uh, be in our show podcast Bible for the the call me's, but uh, we. Oh yeah, yeah. We yes, we'll probably also be coming back to reference some of it, like you were saying, yeah. as we get further into it uh, and check it out. And also, I'm going to go back and try to find some of those Lindelof interviews yeah. we were talking about. Um, guys, is there anything else we need to talk about this week before next week we dive into the lockiness of it all? Yeah. Um, uh, two things, yeah. Really, two things really quickly. And it's just like to yes and some things. Um, really quickly, um, I, I, Neil and I were reading the trivia for this episode and they say that, um, Josh Holloway, who played Sawyer, was like, um, how exactly did Sawyer fuck up that shot? Like, <laughs> what did, how did he like shoot the marshal but not kill the marshal? Um, and I guess the writers had considered that and they came up with the idea that <laughs> Sawyer was hyperopic, meaning he would need glasses later on in the series. So that's a, that's a thing that they came up with in this episode to explain how he could possibly miss that shot. Um, and then the other thing is just to like sort of yes and what you guys were saying about these characters. I've said last week that I thought the unified theory of lost, my unified theory of lost was about love and connection. And I do think that is the unified theory of lost, but maybe the like, unified theory of this first season or these first couple seasons is empathy because you meet these people you think you understand their archetype and then the function of the flashback is to put you in a place of empathy for them so you meet sawyer and you think something about him or or the the i think the strongest case in this season is Jin. you meet Jin and you're like who's this controlling asshole husband and you don't get Jin story and you get Jin story a little bit in Sun's episode Rising Sun which is pretty early but you don't get Jin's <coughs> episode until way later in the season and so you're stuck in this like very judgmental place uh, with Jin for a long time and so the function of Lost is to push you past this like oh Shannon's a rich bitch oh Jin's a controlling husband uh, oh Michael's a bad dad like all this sort of stuff like uh, to a place of understanding that's and and um I think I talked to Dave about this a little bit and Dave was like that's the point of all fiction and that's true but like the structure of lost is like specifically um hinged on that I don't know does that does that make sense to you guys do you disagree what do you think I mean you phrased it better this time because <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> our <laughs> Our group, our group of heroes literally being anti-othering is like too cute and obviously something that somebody thought about somewhere along the way who was really smart and working on this show. So that, that makes sense to me. That tracks. But I do think there is a lot of, you could go really wide with the secret of the fiction is you need to find connection in other people. That covers a lot for me. Which is why I initially was like, isn't that what all fiction is about? But that's specifically talking about it as like an anti-force because we're dealing with the show that's about good and bad or is going to devolve into good versus evil out of this complexity. Uh, season one being empathy season tracks for me. Cool. Neil, any yeah. closing thoughts on this episode or unified theory thoughts? Well, I mean, I think so far empathy work yeah empathy works for season one and then i you know what jack says sort of toward the end of this episode about you know we all died for three days ago or four days ago or however long it's been um you know that's an interesting to me it's an interesting like small step toward the larger goal which is you know to tell this much larger story but um i just remember feeling like oh this makes sense. Like this is why we're going to spend a lot of time on the Island uh, because this is going to be all about fresh starts, you know, like it's all about like these people were bad or weird or had these weird lives and uh, they're all going to get this fresh start on this Island. Um, I was wrong at the time, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're building, we're building from like fresh starts to live together, die alone. And that's going to, that's going to bring us to our more faction, uh, survivor tactics as we deal with water and caves and drug planes and hatches. Uh, but yeah, this first season being empathy focused, uh, I think, I think works out. And then, you know, after we get to know that knowing people is better, then we get to debate whether the man or the side, the man of science and the man of faith is correct. Uh, all right, guys. 
That's been episode three. Uh, in case you didn't notice, Game of Thrones ended this week. So we are the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. Where can guys, where can people find more of your work online next time? Let's start with Neil Miller this week. Uh, well, you can get me over on filmschoolrejects.com. You can get me on Twitter at rejects. If you are looking for off-season tour content, patreon.com slash storm of spoilers, where we'll be talking about other stuff in part of our bonuses. I think it's going to start next week, so that'll be fun. And uh, don't forget to email us if you have thoughts. Send us signals, stormspoilers at gmail.com. And Joanna Robinson. Like find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this and you can hear me on my only other. Nope. I've got two. Fuck. Uh, still watching where we're going to be covering big little lies soon and little gold men, which is an award season podcast. And here we're watching lost with y'all. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA 70. You can find me on the fighting in the war room podcast, polygon.com or thrillist.com. And there's something that's very important when you're on the island and also just important in life. Falling down is dangerous. Do not fall down. We'll see you next week for a walkabout. <laughs>